Shalom, and thank you again for joining us on today's edition of Secrets of Meaning, the podcast and TV show arm of Jewish Sacred Aging. As you know, these podcasts are designed to explore the implications of the longevity revolution and the impact of that revolution on ourselves, our families, and our community. I am your host, Rabbi Richard Address, and you can reach me at Rabbi Address at JewishSacredAging.com, and our website is JewishSacredAging.com. We appreciate your support and continued support for our program and these podcasts. And if you'd like to help us and allow us to continue, we appreciate your donation. You can make a tax-free donation by going to the website and clicking on the donate button and following the prompts. We'd like to um, welcome back to Seekers of Meaning uh, TV show and podcast, Linda Hirschman who was with us a while ago talking in generalities about a book that she was working on, which has now been published. And it is a book that impacts many of our generation. The book is called Gray Divorce, subtitled Everything You Need to Know About Later Life Breakups. So, Linda, it's good to see you. Welcome. Welcome back. And uh, first of all, how are you feeling? Everything okay? Everything is great. Thank you so much for having me back again. I have to say, it's a little bit weird that I've now aged into a where are they now category, but I'm glad to be back. Well, we're here. So, <laughs> so um, this book is very timely. Um, it is filled with some very, very practical information, but um uh, and I, we've, I've already mentioned this book in some of the classes that I'm teaching on the changing aspects of family and relationships. But w- what was the trigger? <clears throat> what was the trigger that motivated you to write this book? It was a confluence of a few different things. First of all, I had been doing, I had re- written articles on alternatives to divorce and had been playing a lot in the divorce world as a therapist, as a licensed marriage and family therapist. And in my research, I came upon the term gray divorce. I started to think back to the clients who I had been seeing and recognized how many of the people who were coming in for something I do called discernment counseling, which is not therapy. It's a brief protocol designed to help people make a decision when they can't decide whether to stay in the marriage and go to marriage counseling or move to divorce and separation. And I started realizing how many of those people were over 50, sometimes over 60 or 70. And the opportunity came up to submit a conference presentation proposal to the International Family Therapy World Congress, which was held in Aberdeen, Scotland in April 2019. And I did some further research, realized gray divorce is not just a U.S. thing. It is common in every country where divorce is legal. And so I submitted the proposal. It was accepted. I went to Scotland, I gave my presentation, and shortly after that, I was contacted by the acquisitions editor at a major publishing company, 
And she asked, have you thought about writing a book? And my response was, I hadn't, but if you're calling me, I guess I need to. <laughs> Ultimately, I was offered a contract, turned it down, and decided to self-publish. But as part of the book proposal, one of the things I had to do was an analysis of the market and to see what was out there and whether there really was room for another book about gray divorce. And in doing the research on that, what I recognized was that there were plenty of books about gray divorce, but they fell into several different categories. There was the seminal book called Gray Divorce, which is written by two sociologists, which is a big, thick book filled with statistics that people are not going to, the lay people are not going to sit down and read. Then there were the books about people surviving and thriving after gray divorce. There were books written by divorce attorneys and financial planners. And then there were the books that I dubbed The Girlfriend's Guide to, Gr to Gray Divorce, which mainly were stories of women over 40 or 50 whose husbands had left them for a younger woman. And the tone of the book was, hey, girlfriend, I'm going to tell you how to survive and thrive and make him regret that he ever left you. And what I was looking for is what is missing. And I realized there was nothing comprehensive. There was nothing systemic that considered the whole process, both for the individual and the family. And there was nothing culturally competent written. And so that became my book. So you have some, a, a very, very interesting, right at the beginning of the book, um, about trends, the demographic trends that really speak to uh, the Jewish sacred aging audience. So I'm going to, I'm going to quote this so I don't misquote. In 2015, just a couple of years ago, an estimated eight and a half percent of the world's population, more than 620 million people reached the age of 65 or older. By 2030, just around the corner, that number is expected to increase to over 1 billion. Almost 17% of the world will be seniors by the year 2050, also not that far away. Factoring in those aged 50 to 65, more than one quarter of the world's citizens will be over 50 or older by 2050. So this, this burgeoning as, as our generation ages out, one of the things that, and we're living longer and living better, mostly, thanks to public health and thanks to medical technology, but one of the things I remember you mentioning when you first talked about this about a year or so ago was that this trend on gray divorce is being led by women, not by men. Am I misremembering or is, or is this true? You are remembering correctly. Two-thirds of divorces are initiated by women. Two-thirds of gray divorces are initiated by women. So talk to me about that. Is it because of the women's movement, greater um, independence, greater autonomy, greater financial stability? What's going on there, Linda? 
Well, yeah, you covered most of it. The main reason, <laughs> the main reason for women initiating divorce later in life is because they can, because they have their own careers, they have their own money, they have the ability to leave marriages that either were never good to begin with and they were staying for the sake of the kids or that have outlived their connectivity and their mutual interests and visions. And so that is one factor. Another factor, well, and speaking to that factor, the economic factor is even until the 1970s, keep in mind that women could not have credit cards in their own name. They could not get mortgages in their own names. They did not have, even if they had jobs and careers, they couldn't set themselves up financially the way we can now. Right. So that's one factor. Destigmatization is another big factor because, again, until really the 1990s, divorce was fault divorce. And you had to have grounds for divorce. And so when you had grounds, one person had to be the bad guy. One person had to be labeled the adulterer or the abuser or whatever. And so with no-fault divorce being legalized in all 50 states, in fact, required in most states as a first option, it took away the agony of having to go into court and testify against somebody, oftentimes very unnecessarily. And then there's the general societal destigmatization. Divorce, for the most part, is no longer seen as a failure. And in your in your practice and your practicing therapist with really working in this area what what's been the impact of covid has it lessened the number of people uh seeking divorce uh, is it, has it has it been a mitigating factor because of the the pandemic older people who lost their jobs during covid a lot of them went into their retirement savings and right. were not able to get divorced then you had people who had functioned pretty fairly independently and suddenly were forced together in the house 24 7 right. and found, oh, gee, we don't really like each other that much. But then you did have the couples who come together and were doing home projects, we're going out walking together, we're baking bread, we're doing all those kinds of things that those of us who <laughs> did not get time off during COVID didn't have a chance to do. And so it's really a challenging question. I can tell you that during COVID, the attorneys, the family law attorneys, were all reporting that 
the rates of people who filed for divorce skyrocketed. Now, I can't speak to what happened once we had been six months, a year into the pandemic. But that's interesting. So uh, the um, the challenge of being together, as I think, you know, like like you said, forced to be together in the lockdown. Um, I, you have? Did you see in your practice um, a lot of mental health impact about that? I mean, just repressed anger or depression, or because we're seeing so much mental health. Um, explosion concerns about mental health as a result of the pandemic so i would imagine that people who are planning on getting divorced all of a sudden couldn't even you know that to stay together that emotion has to go somewhere in your practice have you did you see that yes i did people were angry they were resentful and the women and this doesn't speak particularly to the over 50 groups, so I won't dwell on it much, but the people who were the angriest, the most resentful, and the most stressed out were women who were now home with kids, and either the husbands were working from home and the women were with the kids 24-7 and not getting any kind of break whatsoever, or they were trying to manage their own careers at the same time they were trying to homeschool their kids and do everything else and be there 24-7. And as is, this is not new, the gender labor gap right. that, you know, they say when a woman goes to work, she has two jobs. Right. And so there was a lot of that happening, but not, like I said, that was more the younger set, not necessarily the 50 plus set. You point out in the book um, that there's a very high rate of failure in second marriages. People who get divorced, they remarry. Is that still a trend? Is that what you're fi- you're still finding that? And wh- why? 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 Oh, that's always a trend. And with each subsequent marriage, the divorce rate goes up. And so where the divorce rate in the general population is about 46%, and that has stayed pretty consistent for a long time. Among second marriages, you're in the 60-some percentile. In third marriages, you're in the 70-some percentile. So there are a number of factors that create that. And one is not doing your own personal emotional work after you get divorced. And so a lot of people, men typically marry pretty quickly after they get divorced the first time. And when we don't examine our patterns and we don't work on our patterns, we tend to replicate it. And it may look different, but it often shows up again. The dynamics tend to be similar. And another reason for that is because when you've gone through a divorce once, you 
have broken a boundary and you know you can do this. And so the next time it feels much easier to leave. Yeah. So are you seeing a trend um, in your practice with this great divorce about who people who will come to you and, and they may thinking about remarrying, but they really don't want to go through that again so that they're really opting for cohabitation without marriage? Yeah, and I wouldn't say necessarily in my practice in particular because people, nobody has ever called me and said, my life is going great, I'd like to come in for therapy. And <laughs> That would be cool. <laughs> so people don't tend to come in when they're on the verge of entering into these new wonderful relationships and they're feeling great. They tend to come in when they're thinking about leaving the old relationship or if the new relationship has, well, hopefully they will come in if there are issues to address ahead of time. And, but when they're in that glow of everything is great, they're not seeking therapy. However, just like with people under 50, people over 50 are remarrying or starting to remarry at lesser rates and going more into cohabitation. The, talk to me about the impact as you move out of a, a marriage, let's say of several decades for a variety of reasons that you mentioned, the, the, the triple threats of uh, loneliness uh, and caregiving, um, you know, how, how important when, when and somebody in their 60s, 70s, and they're looking at a life, they don't want to be alone. Uh, they want somebody to take care of them. And so I'll get married and I'll, and that'll solve the problem. Are you, is, how important is that as far as motivation is concerned? I'm not talking about love. I'm talking about these types of things. I don't know that that's really the motivation because I think most of us, when we get into our 60s and 70s, are pretty realistic that you might not want to marry a 75-year-old in order for them to take care of you. Right. You know, statistics are not on your side for that. And, but I will say that both men and women, the greatest fear of gray divorce is, will I be alone forever? Who will take care of me? Right. Yes. It's this caregiving component and the loneliness factor that really, um, I think many of us who look at not in the therapy, but in the, on the premarital counseling type of a thing. And, and we're working on, uh, in fact, one of the podcasts that we're doing, um, is with somebody who's creating a whole document on premarital counseling for second and third marriages. Because as you know, the, the questions that we need to ask are, if you're 70 are a little bit different than you ask when you're 30. Absolutely. And there's a whole universe of different. Which leads me to a question that I really do want to, because it comes up, and that, and, and you deal with it in the book uh, about adult children 
of divorce. Uh, the difference of saying, well, if I get divorced and my kids are eight and seven, well, that's one thing. Uh, but I've also heard people say, well, yes, but my kids are grown. They kind of like they're adults. They know this score. It's not, they, they will accept this in much better than if they were younger. How true is that? Not at all. I didn't think Not so. Not at all. In fact, adult children of divorce or ACODs, as the acronym goes, have unique problems that oftentimes can make it more difficult than it is for younger children. And in fact, the worst, worst time for couples to divorce is when their kid leaves for college. Really? Absolutely. Yeah. Because, and I don't know if you want me to talk about no, that. No, why? Why? Because, because I know, I know that, you know, there are times we've seen this at camp at, 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 you know, where the kids go away to summer camp and they get a letter or the, the parents drive up and say, Oh, by the way, and it destroys the kid. I mean, just mm -hmm. destroy the kid. I think there is this mythology. Well, the kid's off to Brandeis or uh, Temple and, and, you know, they're on their own now. They're 18. So we can do this. But you're saying this has a real impact upon them. This has a huge impact because when a child goes off to college, they are probably for the first time really individuating. They are assuming they go away to college. They're out of the family home for the very first time. They have the opportunity to explore their life and their interests and who they want to be and what they want to be doing without having their parents watching over them. At the same time, an 18-year-old does not have tons of maturity, but they are, when you divorce, when your child first goes to college, they don't get to really individuate because they don't know what's happening at home. They're worried right. about what's happening at home. Is my family okay? What's going to happen? Where will I go over Christmas vacation? What is the relationship going to look like? And so they have one foot in each world and they can't really assimilate into their new world. And at the same time, they can't really emotionally start to separate from their old world. And so when I have parents who come in and they tell me, we're planning to get divorced as soon as our kids finish high school and go off to college, I say to them, and I, I don't take a position on divorce, that's not my job. But I say to them, if you're going to do this, you either want to do it before they go and they have time to adjust and see what this is all going to look like, or wait a couple of years until they have established their own life and it is easier for them to be focused on their own life. So, so Linda... Go ahead. I was going to say that's with the college age kids. I could talk about the older adult children as well. 
Well, just very briefly before, because we're going to start to run out of time. So okay. that for so for the for the that kid who's not longer a kid, but in their career and they're thirty years old, and they get the call from mom or dad saying, "We need to tell you, you know, you're established, you know, et cetera, et cetera, but we're we're splitting." What's the difference then between you know how how is it easier for that thirty year old or thirty two no, year old? It is not easier. It's not easier on a lot of levels. Emotionally, it's very difficult because there is this expectation that well, they're an adult, they can just absorb their losses and move on, and they are not given the opportunity and the forum to grieve. When it's a low conflict divorce, when they didn't grow up in a house where their parents were fighting all the time, they just sort of were good roommates together. There is this question about, was my whole life a lie? And can I trust relationships? They tend to get triangulated because the parents think, well, they're old enough to understand what their dad did to me or what their mother did to me or didn't do for me or whatever. And so they get dragged into the middle and then they have all these loyalty conflicts. And there are also financial implications because a lot of times we promised our adult children, we're going to pay for a wedding. We're going to pay for your graduate school. We're going to provide these things. We're going to give you a down payment on a house. Now, suddenly, the assets are being split, and the parents are saying, I know we said this, but it's no longer there. And even with child care, especially if you have a parent who retired or never worked, and now suddenly, at age 60 or 65, has to go get a job for the first time, and the adult children often lose the benefit of their parents being able to help them with the grandchildren. So there are a lot of repercussions. Wow. And also the relationship between fathers and adult children suffers more than with mothers and adult children when parents divorce in later life. Could you give me a 30-second why? Yeah. Because oftentimes, especially in our generation, the fathers were out working, they were building their careers, the mothers were home, the kids were closer to the mothers to begin with, the fathers were not that involved, and so the loyalties are more toward the mothers, and also the older mothers very frequently were much more dependent on the fathers to pay the bills, to work the computer, to mow the lawn. And so they lean more heavily on their kids. And so, again, it sets up loyalty situations. Lots to talk about. Again, they, the book, Gray Divorce. We've been talking with Linda Hirschman, um, marriage and family therapist. Um, the title, the subtitle of the book is Everything You Need to Know About Later Life Breakups. Um, tremendous amount of information in here, lots to think about. Uh, it's a subject that uh, if you're involved in a congregation or a Jewish organization, may be very, very worthwhile to schedule a program on because as uh, Linda is pointing out, the statistics are saying that this is um, a continuing issue, in fact, for our generation, a growing issue. 
So, Linda, thank you very much. Good luck with the book. Um, stay thank safe you. and stay healthy. And if I could just say it is available as ebook and as paperback on Amazon. The paperback starts shipping on the 21st. And I also am available for speaking engagements if anybody's interested. Thank you very much. And um, you just stay safe and stay healthy. Good luck with this. Take care. You too. Thank you. And it was great to see you again. Good to see you again. And to all of you, thank you again for joining us on today's edition of Secrets of Meaning, the TV show and podcast for Jewish Sacred Aging. A reminder that if you want to continue to support our work, you go to the website, jewishsacredaging.com and click on the donate button. We really do appreciate that. It makes life a lot easier. Um, we thank you and we thank our producer, Steve Lubetkin, at whose studios uh, in Lubetkin Media Companies in Cherry Hill, these, these programs are produced. To all of you, I'm your host, Rabbi Richard Address, and we look forward to seeing you on the next edition of the Seekers of Meaning TV show and podcast from Jewish Sacred Aging. Take care, stay safe, shalom, be kind to one another. Thank you.